Good morning, Mission View. If you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It wasn't much to look at. In fact, it was just this old run-down hotel, and it was right next door to where I lived. Nothing about the place really seemed that appealing, but there was a hidden gem named Jacques. And as soon as you walked into this hotel, which celebrated civil war all over it, the smells of southern food would hit you, and it smelled absolutely delicious, and it was absolutely incredible. It was just what I found to be the best restaurant in the town. And, and they had this dish that was my go-to dish. It was chicken with crab meat and sautéed vegetables that were sautéed in so much butter they no longer tasted like vegetables, the only kind of vegetables I really like to eat. And it was just, just an incredible restaurant. And I went there often, and Brooklyn and I had just gotten married, and, and we had just completed moving down, and it was our first night out on the town together in the metropolis of Vicksburg, Mississippi. And so we decided we would go to Jacques, and I ordered my chicken chicken with crab meat, which was my normal, normal dish. And Brooklyn ordered the filet. And, and we said, you know, we'll, we'll try a little bit of, of one another's dish. And, and the chicken with crab meat came and it was set down before me. And it was an incredible dish that I'd ordered a number of times. And then it happened. I saw her filet come off the tray and it was set down right in front of her. And I remembered that we said we were, going to, we were going to share whatever we got with one another. And before I knew it, the end of the meal had occurred and I had eaten her entire filet. And she was halfway done with my chicken and crab meat kind of staring down and, and back at me. And, and just kind of this look on her face like, what happened? You just ate my entire filet. And that look on her face, you may be like, well, Brian, how do you know that's what she was thinking? Because that's exactly what she said. She said, what happened? You just ate my entire filet. See, I was happy with the chicken with crab meat. It was great. It was delicious. And then I saw something better. And I no longer was content with my chicken with crab meat when there's a filet sitting in front of me that is cooked to perfection. My contentment was gone. You ever been there? You drive right off the dealership lot in your brand new car. It's still got the new car smell. You're proud of your accomplishment. You love the new ride that you have. Until a month later, you pull up to your best friend's house and see that they've got one model better. Or you buy a new house and you love it, only to find out a month later that your sister buys a house which is bigger and better. And all of a sudden, the contentment you had is gone. When you were at one point feeling just great, it's no longer there. What happened? What happened? This morning as we continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're coming off the heels of last week where we saw that the church in Corinth had been riding into the Apostle Paul and asking him questions. 
and their questions were about sex, and their questions were about marriage. And last week, we, we looked through what sex is to look like within the marriage, and we looked at what the marital relationship is to look like. And on the heels of that discussion, we pick up in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, where we read this, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition of which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can, gain your freedom. Avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now what Paul's talking about here is a spirit of contentment. And he starts with this idea of circumcision. And he says, hey, if you were circumcised and then you found Jesus, you don't need to undo that circumcision, which that just sounds incredibly painful. And he says, if you weren't circumcised and you found Jesus, you don't need to be circumcised. And a collective amen rose up from the men at the church of Corinth. And what Paul's saying here is circumcision and uncircumcision isn't the point. The point is the relationship with God. And he goes, he moves beyond the circumcision, and then he goes into this idea of slavery. Now, I would love it here if Paul was, was more emphatic about it. I would love it if scripture here, if Paul was like, slavery is evil, and it should never happen. But, but that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Well, Why? Why? Now, don't be, don't be confused. I'm not up here a proponent or an advocate of slavery. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not promoting that. But what's interesting to me is Paul could really, really, really lean into this idea of slavery here. And he chooses not to. In fact, what he says is if you're a slave, if you're a bondservant, if you're enslaved, then if you can get out, Why is he not more emphatic? Why doesn't he really hammer this point home? That slavery is evil, it's an atrocity, it shouldn't happen. Why, why, does, he say, why, does, he, why does he say seek to get out if possible? But this isn't an overarching theme. And, and he goes on to say, he goes on to say, don't be concerned about it. Why? Well, he provides the answer. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So here's what Paul's saying. You're enslaved. If you can, get out of that arrangement. But there's something of even greater importance that Paul's focusing on here. And that greater importance 
is this idea of who we are in Jesus Christ. See, because of who we are in Christ, Paul can say, it doesn't matter if you're a slave in this life. It doesn't matter if you're free. If, if you're free, you need to act as though you are a slave to Jesus. And why he says it does not matter, and why he doesn't come down more emphatically upon the atrocity of slavery is because in the grand scheme of things, there are greater things to be worried about. Say, so what do you mean? We're going to unpack that thought here in just a minute. There needs to be an idea of contentment. And that's what really is being driven at here. This whole idea of contentment. Contentment found in Christ. Just contentment in the state that we are in life. If you're circumcised, great. If you're uncircumcised, great. If you're a slave, great. If you're free, great. How can this be? How can this be? And here's the answer. It starts with a proper understanding. Contentment starts with a proper understanding of who we are. Contentment starts with a proper understanding of who we are. And here is who you are. And I can tell you who you are, even if I don't know you all that well, because you're the same as me at some level. And here's the level that it doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter how, how prosperous you are. Here's where you and I are alike, no matter what. And here's where all of humanity is alike. We we're created to be eternal beings. See, so often, so often, we live and we put all our emphasis in this world. So often, all of the things that drive us are here in front of us. We labor, we fight, and it's all here. It's all now. It's all here. It's all now. It's tomorrow. It's next week. It's next month. It's next year. And all of our focus is here and now in this world because that's what we see. But God has created us to be so much more than these bodies in which we live for 80 years if we're lucky and then turn to dust. We are so much more than these bodies in which we are entrapped. And when we have that understanding of there's more to the story that is Brian than just this flesh that will ultimately fail him and this flesh that will ultimately arrive to be dust, we truly start to understand why circumcision and uncircumcision isn't the greatest concern of Paul. We even understand why an evil thing that can become like slavery isn't the greatest concern of Paul because the greatest concern of Paul is not the, is not the trials and tribulations that we will experience in this flesh. And dare I say, that's not even the greatest concern of God, our Creator. The greatest concern of our creator is the aspect of us that exists outside of these bodies. And that is the immaterial aspect of us 
our spirit, and our soul. And so often we live with all of our emphasis just on our experiences that we will experience in our bodies. And we forsake the greater component because it's one we cannot see. And that is our spirit and our soul. And that is predominantly what God is worried about for each and every one of us. And when we can transition our thinking, when we can shift in our thinking from being just so obsessed about all the experiences that we will experience within our bodies, and we can transition that thinking into our greater person, into our soul, and into our spirit, it enables contentment. I'll never forget a conversation I was having with, with a friend of mine. He's, he's a very successful student pastor out in California. His name is Troy Lehman. He's, he's a great guy, and he's incredibly wise. And it was about six weeks before I was going to marry Brooklyn, and I was out in California spending some time with Troy. And, um, and I was just talking with Troy, and we were talking about marriage, and we were talking about work. We were talking about the house that he just recently purchased, and, and just really discussing life. And, and I'll never forget this. I can, I can just see it vividly. We were, he was driving us in his car, and he looked over at me at a red light, and he said, you know, Brian, he said, you're going to get married in six weeks. He said, there's always going to be somebody prettier. He said, that's something I had to learn. There's always going to be somebody prettier than my wife. There's always going to be a better job. There's always going to be a nicer house. There's always going to be a better car. It's always going to be out there. The job isn't to go find that prettier girl or find that bigger house or find that nicer car or better job. Our job is to find joy and satisfaction in what God has given us. In what God has given us. And he's right. I love my wife. I think she is incredibly beautiful. She, for some reason, loves me. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there's a prettier woman out there, and we can all attest that there are a lot of prettier dudes than me in this world. Not sure why there was an amen there, all right? Maybe temper that a little bit, just a little bit, all right? A couple, maybe a handful. Let's not get over, let's not get over excited here. We love our house. There's nicer houses. We love our cars. There's better cars. The challenge for us is not to have the best in everything. The challenge for us is to decide what is good for us. Let me help you. Decide that before you start your journey. Decide that when you can before you start your journey. Settle on your target before you begin your pursuit. Settle on your target before you begin your pursuit. I heard a pastor tell a story one time, talking about this idea of contentment. 
and it was a boss, and he overheard one of his, one of his employees say, if I just had been given $1,000, if I just had 1000 more dollars, I'd be incredibly content. The boss overhearing this went into, his, went into his office, into his desk drawer, pulled out 10 $100 bills, walked over, handed them to the employee and said, I've never met anybody fully content. Here's your $1,000. And walking away, he heard the employee tell their friend, I wish I'd asked for 2000 Now, who knows if that really happened? It probably didn't. But the idea is there. We put these goals in our lives that if only I had this, if only I had this, if only I had this, and then as soon as we get that, what we find is, if only I had this. If only I had this. If only I had this. So here's the challenge. Find contentment. Find the target before you begin your pursuit, or else the target's always going to change. And this idea of contentment will always be elusive. And get the healthy perspective that our existence is so much more than our bodies. Because then and only then do we understand that circumcision and uncircumcision, that isn't the big deal. Even slavery versus freedom isn't the biggest thing. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean. Brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. So much of this is temporary. This world, you, me, we're passing away every single day. This world is temporary. It is our temporary home. And so often we treat it like it is the end of our destination and it is merely the beginning. 
A group of friends wanted to take me camping. Why, I'm not really sure. Nothing about the idea of camping appeals to me whatsoever. I believe that we live in one of the greatest times of all civilization, and I love air conditioning. I love electricity. I love plumbing. I love everything about that. I love a comfortable existence. You can call me whatever insult you want to call me. I just think it's wise to, to use utilize those things and to be comfortable. That's just me. If you want to go sleep on the ground and pretend you lived like a thousand years ago and eat raw chicken that you don't get fully cooked because you're trying to cook it over hot coals and some tin foil and you want to sit there and become one with nature, I've got 10,000 better ways to spend my weekend, but whatever works for you, enjoy it and the fleas you're probably going to get as a result of that. I'm going to enjoy my shower and all of the wonderful comforts of electricity. And so, you know, whatever you want to do, that's fine. But these guys guys wanted to, wanted to take me camping, and I valued the friendship, and I valued the relationship, and I said, fine, we will go camping, but tomorrow we're going to price out RVs, and they said, that defeats the whole purpose, and I went through the spiel I just went through with you, and, and so we finally settled on an air mattress. I finally even slept in a tent, and, we, and I got an air mattress, and they're all sleeping outside of tents under the stars, and all of a sudden, they just hear my battery operated air mattress blowing up inside of the tent and I had taken a set of queen sheets from the house because I didn't really want to sleep in a sleeping bag and I started making the bed putting the queen sheets on the bed and let me tell you something it wasn't bad it wasn't bad the next morning we're getting ready to leave Again, they slept out all night They're under the stars. They're ready to go because there's really nothing to pack up. I'm sitting in there deflating my air mattress. They're in the car yelling, come on, come on. I'm wondering if you love camping so much, what's your hurry? Didn't say it, but certainly was wondering. And I just let all the air out of the air mattress, folded my sheets back neatly, put them in my bag, went in the car, and they said all of that hassle for one night. Why? Because I was comfortable? You know, I got to thinking. I wouldn't do it any differently. I'd go through all that work, all that hassle for one night. But if you're a lover of camping, you look at that and you think, what a waste. It's one night. And I think a lot of times we walk through life with that mentality. We put all our energy, all our focus on that which we can see and feel and touch and hear on the here and now and in the grand equivalency of our existence. It's one night. It's one night. Keep an eternal perspective. And when we keep an eternal perspective, what we see is people are that much more valuable and that much more important. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, if you get married, you're fine to get married. But just understand that if you get married, you're going to have troubles in this life. Now, the romantics at heart, we like to scoff at this. We're like, oh, the yeah, some things are a little more difficult. Last Wednesday, it happened. I love my wife very much. She was at work. I was home alone with two children, which is a recipe for disaster. 
when they are the ages of two and three months. I had my youngest son, Dean, on the blanket on the carpet. We're trying to potty train our oldest son, which is an exercise in futility. All of a sudden, the phone rings. It's my wife. She says, the car won't start at work. I don't, I don't think it's the battery because the lights are working. It's dead. Can you come get me? I said, hang on a minute. I go to pick up Dean only to discover that he had pooped through his diaper, through the blanket he was laying on onto the carpet. I walk in to get my son who were trying to potty train and he'd gone on the potty, but it landed all over the floor, not on the potty. And one step into the bathroom and my sock was utterly saturated. And all of a sudden I've just got wet urine on my feet. And I tell Brooke, um, hey babe, can you see if somebody else can pick you up? Cause I'm a little busy right now. Thanks. <laughs> I take my sock off. I leave my son sitting on the toilet. He's so proud of himself. I don't have the heart to really go through all the, all the reasons why that wasn't a good idea. I go pick up my other son, just strip him naked, throw everything into the laundry tub, then decide to leave Ethan still on the bathroom while I go and look up the Honda Care that we'd bought on our car because my wife informed me that it wasn't the battery, it had to be the starter because the lights were working. And so I went and I started the claim process with the Honda Care on the phone. Brooke arrives home to find Ethan still on the toilet with a bathroom floor, still a pool of urine. I'm on the phone with Honda Care starting the claim. They tell me a tow truck, tow truck driver will be out there in an hour. I inform them I'm 20 minutes from there, so they need to give me a, head, a heads up phone call 20 minutes before they arrive. They say that's fine. I get a phone call an hour later from a number I don't recognize. It's the tow, tow, tow truck driver who informs me he's sitting by my car. I inform him I'm at least 15 minutes away. He tells me the max he can wait is 10. I tell him pull out of the driveway in five minutes and turn back in. That'll be a 10 minute wait then. He says, I'll just wait. I say, thank you very much. I arrive at Brooks' office. I get out of the car. I expl start explaining to him why this can't be a battery and why it has to be a starter. He says, pop the hood. I do. He goes into the tow truck and he pulls out a battery charging kit. I once more try to explain to him why it can't be a battery. And then I realize I don't know anything about cars. I'm just going to shut up. He hooks it up and says, start the car. I do. It fires up like it just came off the assembly line. He looks at me and says, it's a battery, takes the charging thing off. So I drive to a local car part place and inform them I need a new battery to be installed. It's roughly eight o'clock in the evening. They inform me that's no problem. They go outside, it's below zero. I'm freezing and I forgot to put a coat on before I went to get to the car. As he's installing the battery, all of a sudden I see sparks fly off the battery because he'd installed an inverted battery. And when he hooked it up, he blew a fuse in my Honda Civic. And the only place you can get the fuse from the Honda Civic is the Honda dealership, which had closed an hour before. And now I'm sitting with one dead car at the auto part place, another car 15 minutes away at Brooks office and my wife and children at home, and it's below zero. And I call Mitch, and I'm like, hey man. And he's like, I'll be right up. <laughs> and I got to thinking, you know how much of that I have to deal with if I'm not married? If I'm not married, I'm having a nice, relaxing night home watching the Cavs game. 
I'm married. My world's falling apart. <laughs> Listen, sometimes it's humorous. Sometimes it's not. You get married, you're going to have problems. There are going to be issues. At its core, it's two broken people coming together, uniting as one. It's not going to be easy. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Listen, if you get married, you're going to have problems. And, and understand, this doesn't mean that this is a sign of a bad marriage. Problems within the marriage does not mean that it is a sign of a bad marriage. In fact, the more focused you are on pleasing your spouse, the harder the marriage will be. The more focused you are on placing the needs, wants, and desires of your spouse above your own, the harder the marriage will be. So let's just understand that, that marriage is tough work. We love to romanticize it. We love to, to make it look easy. Falling in love is incredibly easy. Staying in love is incredibly hard. And that's just something we have to come to terms with. Understand, a life of marriage is a life of problems, and that doesn't mean that you don't love your spouse. Oftentimes, love for your spouse will create even bigger problems and make things even more difficult. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his, his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. There's nothing wrong with marriage. There's nothing wrong with being single. In and of themselves, they, they are not, it's not like one is a, an okay and the other's out of bounds in God's eyes. 
I mean, the disclaimer here that, that is given is if, you're, if you are single, if, if you're widowed, if you're divorced with biblical grounds, if, if you're single, then you are free to remarry, but make sure that that remarry, the person you're going to remarry, make sure that they are a Christ follower. And why is that caution given? Because it's so much more than the temporary. It's so much more than the here and now. Honoring God needs to be our focus. And understanding that life, this life that we live in our physical bodies, it matters. But it's not the most important and it's not the final destination. That is something we must understand. And understanding that, you're free to marry. If you're not married, you're free to be single. But here's my heart and my desire. That for those of us who are married, that we would set the tone in our relationships. To realize that marriage, it's, it's, it's a big deal. But it's temporary. Jesus says there's no marriage in heaven. And so our journeys together need to be focused on us together conforming to be more like Christ. And if you're single, my challenge to you is you focus on you. Don't focus on anybody else. Don't try to get anybody else. You focus on you. And your focus needs to be that you align and become more like Christ. And the more you become like Christ, the more fulfilled you will be in your singleness. And the more you align with Christ, the harder your marriage will be. You will have more problems. But the more rewarding, not only your marriage will be, but your existence will be. And so for those of you who are married, I just want to challenge you. Keep the main thing the main thing, and that is your relationship with Jesus. And then you keep following the example of Jesus. You die to yourself. You serve your spouse. You put their needs above your own. You understand this world is going to bring us problems. We're going to have trouble. This will not be easy. But we made a vow and we made a commitment. Until one of us goes to be with Jesus. We are one. We are together. Mission View, that's my prayer for you. And that's my prayer for our marriages.